Hey guys, the following podcast is a Lady Gang Network and Podcast One production, which means it's going to be awesome. Thanks for listening and being a part of Mama Said, and thanks in advance for supporting these sponsors in this episode. They help us have this much fun with you every week for free. So enjoy the show. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. No one said being a parent would be easy, but now you don't have to go through it alone. Actress and mother of two, Jamie Lynn Sigler, has teamed up with musician and stay-at-home mother of two, Jenna Paris, to create a safe place where you can confess your worst mommy sins and still feel like you're killing the mommy game. This is Mama Said with Jamie and Jenna. Hello, everybody. We have a wonderful, um, informative, and supportive podcast for you today with Dr. Inessa Grinberg. She's one of the top pediatricians here in Los Angeles. She's got lots of advice for us um, dealing with kids and um, COVID and precautions and advice, and it's just wonderful. Um, but before we get to that, support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Fun fact, Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or add renter's insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There are so many ways to save when you switch, and once you're a customer with Progressive, you get an unmatched claim service with 24-7 support support online or by phone. It's no wonder by more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they're recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. Get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Home and renter's insurance not available in all states. Provided in service by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. You're listening to Mama Said with Jamie and Jenna. Hello, everybody. I'm Jamie. Hi, guys. I'm Jenna. And welcome to another episode of our Zoom Mama Said. We hope everybody is doing okay today, right? We're taking this one day at a time because we know it's ever-changing. And if I've learned anything through this, it's to try and be more forgiving to myself because we're all doing the best we can. Um, But um, we are both super excited. This is somebody that our guest today is somebody that Jenna has talked about me endlessly to, and I have um, a few other friends that just sing this woman's praises beyond anything I've ever heard of before, especially for your pediatrician. So we have Dr. Anessa Grinberg here with us today. Um, we're going to get right to it because we have so many questions. I know Jenna opened it up on Instagram and so many people wrote in. So first and foremost, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure. Uh, you know, it's so, I, I've never heard people speak the way they do about a pediatrician, the way they speak. You have just like, you just take it to another level from what I hear that you're just so thorough and thoughtful and have saved baby lives, to be quite honest. Two of my very good friends, Kelly Zyphon and Nikki Deloche, they're two of my really, really close girlfriends. And I know that you've been truly a lifesaver for both of them. It's, it's very sweet of you to say I'm, I'm very fortunate to be part of people's lives and it's, uh, it, it gives me great pleasure to be part of families, to take care of these kids, to know these amazing parents that I have the pleasure of knowing um, and it's truly a pleasure. No, that's wonderful. So, well, during this time of um, 
COVID-19 and with us, you know, feeling like we're getting information and not even getting information. And now I kind of feel like, I don't know about you, that I'm just in this, I feel like I'm in kind of this limbo and in this unknowing and it's really uncomfortable. Um, you know, we, we're we getting a lot of information about how to take care of ourselves, but not a whole lot about our kids um, in the sense of precautions that we sh- should be taking for them. And also what if they're sick or, you know, from just something completely different, what should we do? Um, so I guess let's start first and foremost. Are, are there any specific things that you can think of that, you know, for young children, you know, that we're starting maybe around two, three years old that we can start to explain things to like, you know, tips and tricks that we can do to keep our kids, you know, clean, safe and ways that we can explain things to them. Right. So first, I think it goes without saying that anything about COVID, we're still learning, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the great human experiment where every week, as I give out information, I have to think back and think, oh my goodness, how is this different from last week? And what is it going to be like the next week? Because we're just constantly learning. And even on the, on the medical side, I know parents are feeling a little bit out of control about the situation, but even as doctors, we are also in the process of learning and going forward and being humble and adjusting what we say and saying one thing one one week and then next week saying, wait a minute, let's backtrack. Maybe we need to do things differently. Mm-hmm. And it's just constantly evolving. The- you- oh, sorry. I was going to say, have you guys had a big adjustment in both of your offices with the, the influx of patients that are coming in? Are you still seeing patients? regularly for their checkups, their wellness checkups? Jenna, that's a great question. When it all started mid-March, we really tried to switch as many Um, as many visits as possible to telemedicine. And we're lucky that we have kind of an ongoing telemedicine uh, program called Kids Doc in our office. So that was just got up and running. And there was definitely a couple of weeks where we switched all non-essential visits to telemedicine. Right. But as as time goes, and as this is becoming more, uh, it's becoming obvious that this is here to stay for a while. We have resumed in-person visits because it's so crucial not to miss other things that might actually be way more common in kids than COVID. Mm-hmm. We're lucky. I know, I know we're all anxious about it, but we're in a sense lucky that this hasn't affected children in the way that it has affected adults. So when, from a pediatrician standpoint, I'm more worried about missing jaundice in a child or missing first presentation of type 1 diabetes in a child or missing things that are just everyday things that we see several times per week that if we go to not doing in-person visits that we'll miss out on. And also vaccinations as well. I mean, absolutely, got to keep up with that. Absolutely. And in the back of all of our minds is what does... uh, can the world missing a couple of months of well child checks, what does that mean in terms of whooping cough in California? What does that mean in terms of another measles outbreak? Uh, so it's definitely crucial, we feel, for kids to start resuming their, their regular checkups and starting to come in in person. And with that said, our office, and I think all offices are trying our best to just Uh, separate out the well kids from the sick kids to be very cautious to make sure that no one's hanging around in waiting rooms. I think 
docs are do, really doing their due diligence to make sure that families feel comfortable coming in and we yeah. don't want you to worry. We want you, we don't want you to look around with anxiety. We want you to come in and have a normal checkup because the reality is kids perceive what their parents are feeling and in a lot of ways mimic our emotions. So Jamie, to go to your first question of what do, how do we tell the kids? What, what do we talk about? Always remembering that little ears hear everything. Mm. Um, and, and kind of sometimes if they don't understand fully, they assume the worst. So uh, discussing things in age appropriate ways, which will look different, of course, in a two-year-old versus a four-year-old versus a 15-year-old. Right. Um, and, and making sure that we are having simple discussions with kids and answering their questions. That's something definitely to be very mindful of. So thank you. You know, I have a question because I was so used to, because I have a six-year-old who started kindergarten this year and a two and a half-year-old that was like in a twice a week kind of play group situation. And truly, I've, I got so used to the fact that one of them was sick with something every other week. And then they either passed it to each other or my husband. And for some reason, I'm so the angels are above me. I never get it, but lucked out. Uh, I, I luck out, but I've just gotten so used to that. And truthfully, since March, nobody has been sick. Obviously, no, we haven't been out of the house. Everything's being really clean. Like nothing has happened. I'm sitting here. Well, and it's been lovely and I'm glad we haven't had to go anywhere. I fear for when we do start taking these steps back into the world, are my kids immunity? Like are their immune systems being hurt because of this? Well, the reality is that we're going into summertime, and in general, we see a lot less infectious things in the summer than we do in a winter time. Right. So I think even if your kids were in school, there would be a natural lull in infectious things that you'd be seeing, which is great. That is uh, good, yeah. Right? The bigger fear is what's going to happen come fall when we start to see reemergence of flu and mm-hmm. and RSV and common cold and all these other things. And then this season, it will likely be in combination with COVID. So is there things that we could do like, um, like um, honey, like certain honeys to give our kids that can help them like with their immune systems or there, are there some sort of, you know, homeopathic remedies? Right. I so wish that there was like a secret cure to the common cold and immunity yeah. and I could just bottle it and give it out to everybody, including my children. That would make me so happy. Uh, but the reality is that there, there are little adjustments that one can make, but don't expect huge changes from those adjustments. Right. The biggest adjustments are probably a healthy overall diet and getting a whole lot of sleep for both you and your kids, which I know is a touchy subject for some, but sleep is incredibly important in immunity. And then common sense things like making sure our hygiene is up to par and teaching our kids to kind of the infamous don't touch your face. So the hardest thing ever, right? To to teach your kids to just kind of keep hands to themselves, to wash hands lots. little things like tying your kid's hair back and making sure that you wash them up like crazy when they come from school so that you minimize the bringing in of all these little viruses into the household. Mm-hmm. Honey, of course, should never be given to any child under one. Of course. After one, it can be used for simple things like cough, probably because it soothes the throat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Things like having enough vitamin C in your diet is probably a great idea. Right? 
I'm not a huge fan of vitamin C supplements because I worry about our teeth and I worry about <laughs> our stomachs say, and all the other things. I was about to say, you're not a huge fan of just giving children vitamins in general unless they are deficient. Is that correct? A lot of a lot of people talk about that. They're, I'm just going to give my kids vitamins because I want to. Right. What, and someone actually wrote that to me. What is your take on that? Because I know a lot of people are like, during this COVID time, adults should take A, B, C, D, E. Kids too, but what's, what's your take on that? I think for kids, optimizing nutrition is my top priority. And vitamins should be reserved for kids that have special circumstances, right? A breastfed infant should be on vitamin D. Uh, a child who is anemic or maybe in a vegan family should be on an iron supplement, right? There's definitely some vitamins that are very crucial. And if you know, and you talk to your pediatrician that you're missing these things and diet, they should be added in. Mm -hmm. But it's, to me personally, I feel like it's silly to take, um, 500 milligrams of vitamin C when I could have my kid eat red peppers and an orange and a, a bunch of strawberries. Now I get the question all the time of what about picky eaters, which is like everybody between the ages of two and four, right? Right. <laughs> and even those kids like finding creative ways to do smoothies, to do frozen pops, like to do different things keeping in mind the dietary sources of vitamins. So kind of the natural way in which they come are just going to be more bioavailable. They're going to get mm -hmm. in, into the system and get more absorbed. If I don't think there's necessarily a huge harm to doing a simple vitamin as, a vitamin, as long as it's not like a huge mega dose of something. And I it's not filled with that, sugar. Yeah, and as long as it's not loaded with sugar and doesn't ruin the teeth, and as long as it doesn't give families a false sense of security, in which case they can kind of right. block off the dietary needs because, hey, my kid is getting a vitamin, everything's okay. Right, right. Um, I wanted to ask one last question just for me and then maybe Jenna, and then we're going to take a quick break and then open it up to all our listener questions. But I wanted to ask, so, you know, one of our saving graces in our days for me and our two boys is getting outside. Um, we're in our backyard a lot, but then we try trying to get my older one moving. So I get him on his bike or his rollerblades and I hop on my bike and throw my toddler on the back. Should they be wearing masks? I mean, we're in our neighborhood We're we're, everyone's keeping distance from each other, but um, I was just wondering if that's, if, it, if it's like a simple around your neighborhood or is that more wearing masks when you start going into public places? Right. I think a good rule of thumb to remember is if you're just casually walking by someone, especially at a distance of you know, the, the infamous six feet, yeah, probably okay with that one, especially if you're going quickly. It takes several, it takes, it takes time to transmit the virus. But certainly if you're going into an indoor space, if you're going into a public place, if you're going into a park where there might be multiple kids that you're, multiple adults that you're walking by, everybody should be wearing a mask. Got and it. then some cities, including Beverly Hills, um, are, there is an ordinance that everyone who's outside should be wearing a mask. I just saw the mayor just uh, said it's a must. He right. Totally so you obviously have to respect that. Am I wearing a mask when I'm walking my dog down my street? Probably not, but I don't really see another human being, so I'm not so worried about it. Right. Got it. Um, that's such a good question, Jamie, because I know a lot of kids are going to rip that mask off anyway, so you just have to, I guess, use your good judgment and... Totally. And I just feel like I want to breathe in the fresh air. You know, we're inside yeah. so much. It's just like, you know, especially with coming into these, this beautiful weather and these beautiful months, it's, it's, 
I, you, you know, it's been so long that you obviously want to be respectful and be a good citizen. But at the same time, it's like your human instinct. It's hard. It's like fighting against all of this because, you know, it's getting really hard. Even my two-year-old is starting to like name places that we used to go to. And I know he can articulate why, but he starts having tantrums about it because he's realizing we're not leaving. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully one day soon, but um, yeah. quick question before we take a break from my side, a lot of my, um, a lot of my thoughts are around school in September. Um, I, you know me, I always err on the side of caution. I'm like, if it's scary still, I won't send them back. I have a lot of friends that are like, if camps are allowed, I'm sending my kids. If school's allowed, I'm sending my kids. I am pretty much the opposite of that. Um, first of all, I don't know what the right way to think is. I want to hear from you. If schools are safe to open, they're going to go through a lot of, you know, testing and whatnot. If they're safe to open, do I send them or is it still scary? Even if the higher ups are saying schools are open, is it safe for kids? I mean, I have a two and a four year old. They don't practice dis, you know, safe distancing. So what's the deal with that? Jenna, I think you you hit a couple of really good points in your question. Mm -hmm. Thinking that little preschoolers are going to practice the rules that we want them to practice is, they're not going to. A two-year-old is not going to keep social distance, nor can we ask them to. That's not, the whole point of preschool is to experience social interactions, to play with each other. And if you're not sending them for that, then what are you sending them for? Right. The bigger question is, what is school going to do to... Uh, to really make it a a lesser risk. So there's going to be an inherent risk to going back to school. And every family is going to make an individual decision based on what the necessity is. Do they need school in order to go back to work, which is an incredibly valid reason to Mm -hmm. need school? Do they live in a multi-generational household where it's a grandparent is in there or maybe an immunosuppressed person in there, in which case their risks are totally different and they should probably stay home. But the most important part is going to come down to schools and really redesigning policies around the adults that are on campus. What are they going to do about parent drop-off and not letting parents linger, making a situation where we're minimizing the kids' interaction to the available adults, making sure that the adults are modeling good behavior, meaning wearing masks all the time, because you can't ask the two-year-old to wear a mask, but the adults should. Uh, doing different kind of time frames, or maybe you, the kids will go to preschool but not eat lunch there because anytime you introduce mealtime, you're introducing increased, mm-hmm. increased kind of germ sharing possibilities, mm. right? And of course, is that going to be possible for every family? No, they're, they're super hardworking families out there who need nine to five daycare and it needs to, and it's already happening and it needs to happen. So Everyone has to kind of look at their life and look at the risks, look at their school and make that decision based on that. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. We're just going to take a really quick break and then we'll be right back with some of your questions. So we've talked about Caldrea with you now for a couple of weeks and how much we love this consciously crafted home and body care brand. But have we told you about their home cleaning products? They clean so effectively while they are transforming your home with 
what soon will be, if you have not experienced them yet, your favorite fragrances. I mean, we're all spending so much time at home now. We want to keep it clean and fresh. So they make cleaning enjoyable and worry-free with incredible effective formulas that are addictively pleasurable to use. Let me tell you, my room spray, I pretty much use it on the daily. They have a countertop spray, which is powerful yet gentle, a dish soap, which is a miracle using it to hand wash dishes. Please. It, it's so gentle on your hands. Smells so good. So get in on this action and get free shipping on orders of $50 or more when you buy online at caldrea.com. That's C-A-L-D-R-E-A.com. Visit caldrea.com and add a touch of luxury to your home care and enjoy. All I ever do is eat snacks during this quarantine, so why not eat healthy snacks? Enter Zenbee. They are organic, good source of fiber, non-GMO, gluten-free, plant-based, and vegan, no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you guys, this is the snack that you definitely want to eat during this long quarantine. I promise you that. Uh, there's this red pepper flavor, and it blew my mind because I didn't think I was going to like it at first, and I am absolutely hooked. My kids are hooked. My husband is hooked, and it's just a good good tasting snack. They have so many different kinds of snacks and you could try them all and they deliver them right to your door. So go to zenb.com slash mama. That's zenb.com slash mama to get 30% off any product and get a free trial. Yes, you guys, free trial today. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Mama Said with Jamie and Jenna. Okay, we are back with Dr. Inessa Grimberg. Um, she's been... So helpful so far. I can't even tell you. Um, but Jenna, I'm just going to give the floor to you because you have access to all of them. Great. Okay. So um, Olivia wrote, thoughts on play dates down the line. What are your thoughts on play dates? If things should get, I don't even know what getting better means. Let's say right now. I mean, if people have been <laughs> isolating. Right. Down the line is so loaded at this point, because I feel like, you know, like I said in the beginning, like last week versus this week versus next week, it just seems like eternity. Yeah. I Right now, at this point in time in Los Angeles County, personally, I'm discouraging play dates because I'm still so worried. We're still not out of the woods. The numbers are still very high. Uh, kids, it's not because I'm so worried about the, those three-year-olds playing together. It's because I know there's that human need in all of us adults to come close, to embrace, to talk about our lives, to share what's going on, which is so amazingly wonderful, but I hope is happening over electronic platforms. Mm -hmm. um, I, personally, I'm not yet ready to let my kids go on play dates. Okay. Um, Molly wrote, should we be concerned about the new virus mimicking uh, Kawasaki? I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, this is kind of the, the latest and the greatest, right? So not or not so greatest, I should say. Right. The, it, it's really new information that has come out in the last couple of weeks in that there have been, Kawasaki is an, an inflammatory syndrome that has existed for a very long time and is very well known. We don't actually know the cause of Kawasaki, but we know that there's a certain number of kids that get it every year, uh, usually younger kids, so kids around you know, two years of age, four years of age, somewhere in there. And then what we're seeing this season is an increased number of cases of what looks like Kawasaki. And as we're trying to characterize it, it turns out that uh, uh, some proportion of those kids are COVID positive. Mm -hmm. So it's actually been 
renamed this pediatric COVID-associated multi-system inflammatory syndrome, lots and lots of no. names in there. But basically what it is, is a, a child not during a COVID infection, but several weeks after a COVID infection that wow. has an immune response that starts to involve uh, their, their blood vessels, their lymph nodes, their there, uh, it's kind of a multi-system involvement, um, and that those kids do end up hospitalized. Now, I will, I have to say that this has been an incredibly small number of kids. This is not the common presentation of COVID in kids, and it's it's been very very limited numbers. So we're learning more about it. It is scary in a sense that none of us want to hear about our kids having this. Uh, it is. It does affect kids that are older than kind of the average Kawasaki age. So we're seeing it in kids that are uh, kind of high single digits, so 8, 9, 10, even, even going into 11 years of age, um, which is unusual. Right. Um, and, and with that, some kids don't many people, but the kids don't even know that they might be COVID positive. So there, some parents are just seeing this happen to their child, right? And then they test them and they happen to have the antibodies or that they were COVID. So that's how they, how they right. know. So these, this presentation is not during the kind of the COVID, the acute COVID okay. itself. Um, these kids, if you test them, most likely they would be negative for the actual swab. But right. a couple of weeks afterwards, when antibodies develop, we could look back and say, hey, look at that. They had COVID sometime in the past, and now they're having this uh, multi-system uh, syndrome. So it's at the time of that presentation when they're having their multiple days of fever and rash and swollen lymph nodes mm -hmm. and, and all the stuff that's going on. At that particular time, they're actually no longer contagious with COVID. I see. They were contagious with it probably weeks ago. Right. But not at the time of this Kawasaki-like illness. Okay. And I know parents are going to be wondering, is there a, not a cure to it, but can it, can it be resolved? It is definitely treatable. There's ways that we can support it, right? We've, we've been uh, treating Kawasaki for, for years and years and years. Um, and there's definitely, it's not that, it's definitely not hopeless. What's important is if your child has had fever for more than a couple of days, you should definitely be calling your pediatrician. And generally, even to kind of start thinking about this syndrome, the child has had to a fever for more than five days, uh, and you're certainly talking to your pediatrician at that point so that they could help you manage this and decide when to go to the hospital. Okay. Um, I have a, can yeah. I ask one quick question? So yeah. I had, um, our nanny has not been with us since the very beginning of March, and um, we have been paying her because she is dependent on us for her and her family, and we are happy that we can do that, but it started to get to a point where what's best for us is, you know, if I have to watch our kids all day, I can't do extra work and extra things here and there that earn me money until things start filming again. So, you know, we had to have a difficult conversation with her and she's, you know, and I don't, we don't want to lose her. She's part of our family. You know, she said, please, please let me come back just part time. And so we are discussing right now, my husband and I allowing our nanny to start coming next week for a couple hours a day to give me the time to fully homeschool my older one and then do some like extra jobs on the side and things like that, that 
pertain to my career. Um, but it's a tricky thing because I, I can't be naive to the fact that she's probably going to have something else part-time later in the day. Um, you know, everybody has to make a living and, and support their family. I totally get that. But what kind of precautions should we take? I mean, should, should she change her clothes every time before she comes in and obviously wash hands, everything? Should I not have her be getting too close to my kids? Like what, what things possibly could you give me advice for if we do decide to make this decision? Right. And it, again, with nannies coming in, it's going to be about stratifying risk, right? About seeing like, well, what, and every nanny situation is going to be different. So as soon as you have another person come into your household, it's like as if you're expanding your family by that person, right? Your close unit that will likely get infected together if there's an infection, so then you have to ask yourself, well, what's my nanny's unit? Because they are, in essence, part of my unit. So if you're having a nanny come in and the nanny goes to another family of four, but then she also goes home, and then the question is, who's in the house? Do those right. people work outside of the home? Is uh, one person in that group of physician who is exposed all the time, right? So you have to kind of see, well, how much am I expanding my risk? Because you, you, you can make these decisions. I just always want everyone to make them with eyes wide open to know exactly what it is that, that you're kind of expanding to, right? Should we ask her to wear a mask the whole time she's here? Personally, I would. I def anyone who's going in and out of the household that can't present a risk to your family, I believe should be wearing a mask, should be washing up, should be just a given, right? So yeah. a washing up upon entry into the house. And then anytime you might scratch your face or forget and blow your nose or anytime that something happens that might involve the face, we should wash our hands. And then yeah. simple things like shoes, whether they're your nanny shoes or your shoes as you go out on walks should likely stay out of your living space. And I do think it's a good idea to you know, change if, if kind of certainly if a nanny's working with several families to change at least the top in between yeah. families because you know how kids snuggle, there's a whole lot of <laughs> snot going on in there, right? So uh, changing is probably appropriate. Okay. Thank you. That's such a good question. I mean, yeah, I haven't had my nanny. I haven't had, um, we haven't had anyone come in since March 13th. So it's, it's hard. How are you holding up? It's hard. I'm, I'm not like fabulous, you know? (laughs) Um, but I'm good. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm lucky and we're, we're healthy and, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm not going to lie. It's been very challenging. I break down. I go cuckoo sometimes and it's stressful and I need my husband's help more than ever, even though he's working from seven to four and trying to help me in between. But it's it's definitely hard. It's I'm used to having a nanny twice a week. We would record our podcast on those days and the kids were at school and I don't have that anymore. And it's an adjustment, but it's nothing I can't do. You know, it's nothing I can't take on basically. I can't complain. It's still a lot. It's still it, a lot for yeah. everyone. <laughs> I can, I can complain, but then I think of people who have much worse situations than I do. And then it makes me think, okay, I can complain, but I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. Complaining. But I will tell you, Jenna, I try and catch myself in that because 
you can play that game where like, oh no, I shouldn't complain. But the truth is, you're, everyone is allowed to be feeling their feelings right now. This isn't easy for anyone. I mean, I think it's beautiful. And yes, I do the same to, to have perspective of, yeah. of how things could be worse, but that doesn't mean that the situation isn't hard for you. And we want all to say that to yes. all the moms out there, like yeah. you are, we honor you and we, we are with you and please be gentle with yourselves. Again, like you are allowed to feel how you're feeling. This is not this isn't easy. There's also emotions about the pandemic that we don't even get time to really process because it's we're just trying to keep our house afloat. Exactly. You know? A lot of people are grieving and feeling a, uh, an emotion of grieving, and they don't even know that they're feeling that uh, because most people think that grie- grieving is when they lose someone, not something. And so yeah. a lot of people are just feeling the feels. After selling out of their last four boxes, Cosbox just launched their summer box. And I don't know if you follow them on social media. It's at Cosbox, but they are kind of like hinting what's in their boxes. One thing I know is this PMD Clean. You probably have seen it all over social media. I have, and I'm dying to use it. But it's this smart facial cleansing tool that works at over 7,000 vibrations per minute to deeply cleanse your face, as well as lift and tone and Oh my gosh, that is something I so need during this quarantine. Uh, So go check out Causebox and reserve your summer box now. It will not last long. I promise you that. Use the code Mama Said to get 30% off your first box at Causebox.com slash Mama. Once again, use the code Mama Said to get 30% off your first box at Causebox.com slash Mama. And now back to Mama Said with Jamie and Jenna. I want to chime in for one sec to to kind of bounce from your point of what what you're feeling and how hard it is and address the nanny point from a standpoint of a brand new family that's introducing a baby into the family right because I'm seeing seeing this firsthand every day and at first I think the fear from COVID literally parents would call me and I'd say no 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 nanny no night nurse like just, just stick to your, your, your small unit of mom, baby or whatever and, and, and partner and just stick to it. And I've really changed my song and dance in the last couple of weeks because I am seeing a level of postpartum depression that oh. I have never seen in my career that, you know, we, when we're talking to new parents and what it's like and support and it's, it's like they're it's the morning for the normal experience, the kind of the trauma of not having support, struggling mm-hmm. with breastfeeding, mm. all the stuff that's going on. It literally breaks my heart every day. And I am encouraging new parents to please, please, please open up their house into at least one person who can come and support them. Yes. Whether it be a nanny or a night nurse or you say, you know, mother-in-law, somebody. I would never survive without Linda Hannah after either of my children. Right? <laughs> I don't know how anyone survives without Linda Hannah. She's phenomenal. She's the best. We should have her on. You should oh, definitely yes. COVID. Yes. And, and even like with us in our office, you know, speaking of Linda, Linda is an amazing and provides lactation support in our office two days a week. And, and there was a period where we went, okay, we can't, we can't, we love Linda. We can't have a risk everything. Like we're just going to have her stay home. And yeah. she tried so hard and she did this amazing telemedicine visits, but it's not the same. No. And, Absolutely. Um, 
Okay. This is from our mutual friend, Shawnee, Shauna, who you know. Um, she said, she goes, please ask Anessa, please ask her this. What are her thoughts on grandparents being around a newborn? Kind of what we were talking about, but you know. Right. I think, I think if they're there providing support and they're really the kind of the, it's, it's, it's like, it goes back to the point of increasing the family unit, right? If the grandparents only, st- only seeing the new family and the new family is not seeing anyone else and you're basically just increasing your kind of your, your family unit and then everyone takes this risk. I, I know I should be worried about newborns, but I'm actually not so worried about newborns. Yeah. The numbers haven't supported it. We were very worried about what COVID would mean for for newborns when it first started. But as of right now, there really isn't enough data to support that worry. Um, So I'm more worried about grandparents, of course, in terms of, you know, the couple goes to the hospital, delivers a baby. There's kind of an inherent exposure, the what if. So I say mm-hmm. sit tight for a week or two. Right. Make sure nobody develops any symptoms. And then if grandparents have been truly quarantined, then that's the time that you could make the mutual decision to get together. Right. Yeah. That sounds like a good plan. Um, okay. There's a question, and actually, I'm curious about this too. So obviously, during this quarantine period, I, I'm sure naps have been funky for the little ones. Um, Daisy has been trying very hard to drop her nap. She's a good sleeper. So she'll sleep, um, till seven ish, seven thirty, And I put her in her crib and she says, mommy, mommy until an hour and a half later. And then I get her. Um, she's almost two and a half, by the way, our checkup is next month, I think with her and Milo, I don't even know. Um, but she's almost two and a half, and I think she truly is okay to drop a nap. She doesn't get too cranky. When she does drop a nap, um, she sleeps. I put her to bed at like 6.30, and she sleeps till like 7.30 in the morning. What's, what, what is the deal with two and a half year old dropping naps? I'm so scared. I feel like I'm doing something bad to her if I'm going to pull this nap, but I can't take it anymore. Right. It's so hard too, because they're not getting the normal amount of energy out during the day, right? Like when in normal times, when they're playing, going to the park, they're seeing their friends, they're using both like mental and physical energy. And by the end, like by the time that mid afternoon comes around, they're exhausted. They need that. Right. So in normal times, I'd say two and a half dropping a nap. No way. It's a rare two and a half year old that can drop a nap and still be okay at 6 p.m. to not, you know, to still want to make you hang out with them. Uh, So but you have to then see, well, if Daisy comes come bedtime is actually still a nice human and you guys are interacting okay together and you're getting pleasure out of your interactions and she could do that several consecutive days without melting down, then she might just be ready. Yeah. Look, she doesn't melt down and she's ha- she sometimes has night wakes and I never go in. She goes back to bed after 10 minutes. Her body's definitely adjusting, but I'm still going to try to to put her down, even if it's quiet time. My kids have never loved quiet time in their cribs, but I'm still going to do it for a couple weeks to really see if she's ready to drop this. But I, I, I was just so nervous that this is bad for her body and, and you know, but 
but you she's know if it's bad for if she starts to actually kind of act out maybe have a little more tantrums and show signs yeah. that she's just not getting enough sleep i do right. love your idea of just having downtime for an hour or so every day even if it's not napping so encouraging yeah. her you don't have to sleep but maybe just flip through this book just to kind of tone it down lower the lights and yeah, yeah. i'll do that um okay let's do a few more questions um Oh, ooh, someone wants to know, how do you choose the right pediatrician? What do, you, what do you look for? What are you supposed to look for? I think it's, a lot of it is about personal interactions. Uh, I think it's a great idea for expectant parents to meet a pediatrician, or several pediatricians even maybe, just to see who you, who you interact well with, whose explanation you seem to understand better, you know, personally, it's like, it's a getting into a relationship. There's some people that are just going to turn you off and there's some people that you're going to love and it's going to be totally different for everyone in the room. Right. Um, yeah. but you are, it, your pediatrician is someone that you have a long-term relationship with. And I, it's, it's kind of, you're almost, you're almost not choosing as much for the child as you are for yourself, because in the first few years, when you need the most support, it's, you're, we're interacting a lot. Well, you know, Daisy, <laughs> you know, Jenna, we're interacting so much that it's, um, that it's important to, to know someone that you could talk to. Yeah. Right. I mean, I definitely interviewed you and several others and obviously I, I went with you. Um, and I think the interview process was very helpful. I really do. Um, you know what? I, I think we covered a lot of the questions. There were, different questions, but kind of the same, uh, same idea. So Jay, do you have anything else? That I just thank you so much. I'm so happy to meet you again because of all the amazing things I've heard about you. I know that, um, your life is busy. So thank you for taking the time for us. And we're just on behalf of so many other mamas that are listening and we're truly, truly grateful. Thank you so for grateful. having me. This is lovely. And, uh, we're going to leave you with a mama said as always. Remember, Mama, you are exactly what your child needs. Don't ever doubt that, not even for a second, not even through a quarantine. We love you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Mama Said. The Lady Gang Network is produced by Will Sterling, Steve Delamater, Kirsten Woodward, and Elizabeth Bigway. Thanks for rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts and tune in for new episodes every single week. We want to thank all our sponsors for this episode of Mama Said. They are Progressive. Get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Caldrea. Get free shipping on orders of $50 or more when you buy online at Caldrea.com. Zenbi. Get 30% off any product at Zenbi.com slash mama and get a free trial. Causebox. Get 30% off your first box at Causebox.com slash mama. And remember, all the info and links to these sponsors will be available in the show notes for this episode. Hey, I'm Autumn Calabrese, and I have a question for you. How do you do life? I might be a superstar trainer, but I'm also a boy mom, sister, daughter, friend, and entrepreneur. You might think my life is all working out and cooking healthy, delicious recipes, but trust me, there is so much more to it, and this is it. This is all of those real moments you talk about with your family and friends. Ever wonder what else life has to offer? Bring your curious appetite, and let's do life together. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and PodcastOne.com.